Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Plain Talking UK podcast. It's episode 483, and I can't even say the title of the show, which is ridiculous. <laughs> Uh, well, in this week's show, we've got a domestic uh, dispute diversion. Ryanair have been up to their old tricks again, and a YouTuber goes to jail. And Matt's dishing out the hand sanitizer for a grubby story. Uh, in the military news this week, Boeing leaves the doomsday race and Poseidon is pulled ashore. Uh, no Carlos this week, due to the fact he is having his company Christmas do. Uh, I hope he's got some paracetamol with him because you'll be needing those for tomorrow, I'm sure. But, of course, in the studio, as always, it's Matt Smith. Hello. Hello. Yes, I'm back this week. Good. <laughs> Hello. Yes. And, and I'm glad you are after last week's uh, start to the show, which was very hesitant and difficult, I can tell you. Right. Oh, OK. All right. Uh, but then you would have heard that when you were editing it. Yes, yes, that's true. Yes, You're lucky I did check. Normally I just, like, top and tail it. So mm. <laughs> lucky it got spotted, I think. Oh, oh well, dear, never no. mind. All part of the so we've been up to this week, uh, Matt. Anything exciting? Uh, yeah, just just working, you know, just muddling on, get, getting on with work and stuff. I've uh, been doing quite a lot of radio bits and pieces this week um, and lots of very exciting meetings about a balloon festival that we're going to be involved in again next year, mm-hmm. which I'm hoping Peter UK are going to be involved in as well. Um, hopefully some live shows uh, next year from the old Buckingham Balloon Festival, fingers crossed, both on the radio and on the podcast so that'll be quite exciting sort of a bit of a a collaboration if you will so exciting meetings about that to look forward to what about you nev what you've been up to uh a very hectic week this week um culminating in yesterday's a big conference i was involved with uh called ltsmg oh bless you that does sound a bit weird (laughs) and awkward i realize but it actually stands for um What's it stand for? Uh, the uh, <laughs> Learning and Teaching Spaces Managers Group. Oh, okay. Uh, it's basically uh, audiovisual managers in higher education. Nice. Uh, it was a very good turnout uh, yesterday, I must say. It was quite a long day. Um, and then a long drive back here to get on the train to go to Oxford first thing this morning. So uh, was yeah, that, it's, been, it's been a bit hectic. Was your, your ex-industry colleague Colin there, who I met, I think, when we went there? Uh, no, he ah. wasn't actually. No, no. Um, but he used to have um, something to do with education, didn't he? But uh, yes, he did. That's right. Mm. But uh, no, it was at the Why Boston Lakes Resort. Oh. I think resort it could be overused a bit. It's right next to the A1, basically, oh. um, and the hotel is there as well. It's almost impossible to get any sleep because the A1 never goes to sleep. No, road? no, it's a busy so, old road. Right. It is uh, yeah. indeed. Uh, talking of people uh, putting people to sleep, Nev, uh, <laughs> you've, had, you've had quite a tough week, have you not? Well, yeah, it has been. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It has been a bit difficult, but uh, anyway. So uh, across the pond now, and uh, Armando. Are you there? I thought that was my cue to when he said putting people to sleep. I thought that was my cue to answer. Like number one, I can hear you. Number two, okay, fair. <laughs> Not at all. As if I would be so rude, Armando. How dare you? Well, on a on a night like tonight, I am the boring one because we've got an outstanding active duty uh, captain that's joining us, which always adds a great element to the aviation podcast. Definitely. So we, what have you been up to this week? Have you been doing some flying this week, Armando? Not a whole lot. Actually, we just closed on a house. It's a terrible time to close on a house uh, because of interest rates, but we did so anyways. We bought the house next door 
and no. uh, so we are uh, actually in the process of moving, uh, which nobody ever likes to do. Uh, you, so no. you, could you not just get a, a, a lot of people and just literally like daisy chain it from one head? <laughs> uh, that would be ideal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. But no, we've uh, we're just kind of as a family, we pick a room each day, and we're literally hauling the boxes. I took one of the uh, panel fences or fence panels out. And we're just moving across the love yard, it. Uh, which is awesome. That's very uh, civilized. Yeah, yeah easiest that. move ever. But Absolutely. Still so it would be hard to justify renting a Penske van uh, <laughs> just to go next door when they're <laughs> just to rut up the yard. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, yeah, the, the good little... news, the good news is is our our, our guest uh, guest pilot this evening owns a truck, and uh, I believe it's in the states now. So, like, he could probably help you. <laughs> Andy, Andy's actually also been to my house, so that makes Nev the only person on this show tonight that has not been to my house. Oh, no. Perhaps we'll find a a, a way of rectifying that. Um, (laughs) But uh, to help us on the show tonight, uh, he's, well, he he has got a new truck, actually, because I saw him this week, (laughs) and it is an impressive piece of kit, let me tell you. Oh, dear. And it's uh, A320 Matt. Hello, Matt. How are you doing? Hi, Nev. Hi, everyone. Thanks very much for having me on. As always, a pleasure to join you. You're very welcome. And yes, um... Honestly, the truck that you have got is a massive beast, isn't it? I, I need um, more details. You can't leave it there, I'm afraid. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, I've been spending far too much time in America doing road trips, right. visiting <laughs> wonderful places and wonderful people like Armando and his family, mm. driving around in, in big vehicles. So I felt like it was time to bring a bit of bit of the US to the UK. So yeah, I got myself a pickup truck a couple no. of weeks ago. <laughs> so yes. I know it's an aviation podcast, but how are you doing that? What, first of all, what'd you get and how are you getting it over there? So you won't have it in the States. It's a Sangyong Muso, which is a... Bless uh, you. South Bless you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, can I have rice with that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, South Korean and yeah, it's a bit of a beast. So yeah. Wow. Um, I haven't yet gone out in my Stetson cowboy hat that I oh, bought when I was in right. Dallas in July, <laughs> uh, but it's it's got to be done at some point, I guess. Do you have the boots? <laughs> No, I don't have the boots. Mm. No, it's only a matter Christmas of time. Christmas is I coming think. up. Yeah, I was say, <laughs> yeah, it's only a matter of time. I, I think. Always have to have an excuse to return back to the states. You see. Oh. Well, I was going to say, what do you give the man that has everything except penicillin? <laughs> right, <laughs> quite <laughs> cowboy boots, indeed. So, so what's uh, forgive, forgive my nosiness? Is it is it with a view to running running said truck round here, or is it is it going uh, elsewhere? Or yeah, so just on the on the side, I have um, a bit of a property refurbishment sort of thing going on mm. so i'm always lugging tools and right. bits of materials around and i always had the seats down in my car so i just thought yeah. i'm gonna bite the bullet and get a truck yeah. and i'm gonna do it properly yeah ah. from what i've seen it would also make a very good outside broadcast vehicle as well i'll come and install the wi-fi for you it'll be fine mm. uh, yeah, I remember the first time I lived over in the UK, I drove a Jeep Grand Cherokee. Oh, <laughs> finding wow. finding parking in Cambridge was always a, a challenge, especially well, no, with no, those. No, no, no. Very straightforward. You just park over stuff. It's not a problem. <laughs> yeah, I ended up parking. Park and ride is what it ended up yeah. being. Is. Yeah, park outside of town so good luck with that matt yeah uh, my, my concern for you matt is is the bank balance involved in trying to keep it on the road frankly because fuel is not cheap here <laughs> although you'll be surprised actually it's more fuel efficient than my car that i wow. uh, traded in for so yeah okay all right anyway i yeah. i i, 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 I speaking... go on sorry 
No, no, I was going to move on to the chat room because yeah, we shouldn't be what talking about say, trucks, really. No, I was going to say we shouldn't be talking about trucks. We should probably move on. So truck talking UK, TT UK. Yeah. No, speaking speaking of you know all around the world and driving big things and our normal intrepid Friday night aviator group is in there. I can see uh, our, our usuals in there. Mazus is in there. Richard Adams is in there. Hobby times in there. Lee Davies is in there. He's probably just going to make fun of me the whole show, but that's cool because <laughs> now I'm just kidding. Uh, Richard flags in there. Dirk Dirk is in there. Bill, Aaron, the lovely Masha. I always look forward to her Christmas cards. Uh, Captain ridiculous, which is in there and proving me wrong that, I did just say that nobody in the U.S. listens to the show live. Uh, Ricky B., listener in California, is uh, actually oh, listening, love joining us live today. So Good. way to prove me wrong, buddy. Hopefully he missed the start of the show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's everyone in the chat room. But obviously, if you're listening to the audio version of this, which is what most people listen to, yes. if you want to come see our pretty faces and what Captain Matt, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go Captain Matt all day long, okay. uh, looks like, um, with his Stetson hat, uh, come over to YouTube. <laughs> And you can subscribe and you'll get notified when Matt and his Stetson Lovely. is about to go live. <laughs> what, what a treat. Is that a, yeah. is that a yeah. different channel? That, that might be a different It channel. might be. It absolutely. It's one I would subscribe to, but we'll, we'll gloss over that and move on. The Nev, <laughs> save us. <laughs> Let's do some news, right? Yeah, well, of course, uh, that's great. Thanks, Armando, for uh, uh, taking us through the chat room now. It was brilliant. Uh, so it's the commercial news next. So uh, off we go, Matt. The captain has turned on the seatbelt light. Please take your seats and fasten your seatbelts. Well, how about this for a story? Uh, Spirit of Mojave, Boeing 747 is added to the Strato launch fleet. Strato launch has taken delivery of its latest aircraft, a Boeing 747, named Spirit of Mojave. Uh, the aircraft touched down at the Mojave Air and Space Port in the Mojave Desert on December the 5th and will be used to increase the company's in-flight test capacity and ability to support its customers worldwide. According to the company, the 747's name was chosen by the company's employees as a tribute to the passion of the Mojave aerospace community that has built and tested some of the world's most unique aircraft. Uh, the aircraft was acquired from Virgin Orbit, where it operated as Launcher One. Already under immense financial pressure, as we know, Virgin Orbit collapsed after the failure of a test mission earlier this year. Uh, Strata at launch announced its intention to acquire the aircraft back in May 2023. Uh, at the time, the company's president and CEO, Dr. Zachary Cravor, said the addition of this aircraft is a transformational milestone, uh, with uh, ROC remaining as our mainstay aircraft. An additional 747 brings expanded capabilities and flexibility to our platform. We'll be able to increase both our flight test capacity and reach to become an even stronger partner to global customers. Uh, well, the aircraft's uh, existing modifications make it, make it suitable, a suitable choice as a launch platform for Strato Launch's Tail-on-A reusable hypersonic testbed. The 747's range will also benefit the company, allowing it to reach as far away as Australia. Now that it's arrived in its new home, the aircraft will undergo some further modifications, since, uh, such as the installation 
of a launch pylon and is expected to be operational in the first half of 2024. Uh, before arriving at Virgin Orbit, the 747 flew for Virgin Atlantic, in fact, for 14 years. Sporting the name Cosmic Girl, the aircraft was delivered new to the uh, UK-based long-haul carrier in October 2001, where it remained until 2015. In that time, it completed more than 8,200 flights. Strato Launch's mission is to advance high-speed technology through innovation design, manufacturing and operation of world-class aerospace vehicles. Earlier this month, the company's flagship aircraft, Rock, completed its first captive carry flight of a live Talon Air hypersonic vehicle. The initial results showed that the flight had gone to plan, representing another step forward uh, to the goal of uh, Talon A completing a powered flight itself. Uh, Rock is the largest aircraft in the world with unique twin fuselage design and a wingspan of 385 feet. Uh, the aircraft took its first flight in April 2019 and has since flown a further 11 times on various test missions. That's quite a machine, isn't it? My goodness me. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, so forgive my uh, naivety here. Somebody explain to me what what is the so the second photograph here is, it, and I, it's not the first time that I I've seen this. So it's essentially like two fuselages and, and then like uh, sort of like three wings, I suppose, for want of a better word. Yep. Uh, I mean, what's the, what's the idea slash benefit slash idea on that? What? Wh why? Oh, you're well. You're th you're three. Well, maybe uh, half way up your initial uh, climb. So if you're going to test a high-speed hypersonic vehicle or something that's going into space, uh, you're going to use up most of the fuel and most of the energy getting away from the ground. So as you have the <laughs> Captain Rick's crickets here. Uh, so the gravitational pull of the Earth is closest to the Earth, mm -hmm. and also the air is denser closer to the Earth. So if you can get a head start when you're testing a vehicle and take something like rock, which Trivia question: What is what is rock? Does is it an acronym or is it representative of something? Think about that for a second. Um, but if you can take something like rock and take your test vehicle and already take it up to 40,000 feet, you've just eliminated a huge chunk of gravity that you have to overcome and a huge chunk of air density that you have to overcome. So now you can launch your test vehicle um, with less fuel or maybe you know, the same amount of fuel, but now you're, you're not burning it to just get away from the earth. And it's starting from a much more advantageous point. Wow. Okay. Oof, man. What happened? I just blacked, I just blacked out for the last 30 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> no. so does anybody know what rock is? No, I don't know. I mean, I thought oh. they were the gray things that you, you know, you made um, aggregate from, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I don't see anybody in the chat room. Let's see. Double checking, double checking, double checking. Nope. Uh, it's actually a legendary bird of prey. It oh. is uh, an ancient Arabian folklore. It was said to carry sailors to surf to safety. So right. that's what that's uh, what rock is. Lee Davis is offering that it's uh, rock is great noise from musicians. Um. <laughs> It is indeed, but <laughs> yeah, indeed. Uh, yeah. Jerk, got it. Mythological figure, rock. Oh, there okay. you go. Oh, R O C, right? R -O -C. I see. I, I, yeah. It's not R O C K in the USA. It's just R O C in California. Okay, yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Well, okay. Uh, moving on. Um, well, back down to earth with a bit of a bump, uh, Matt. <laughs> Literally, <of course. laughs> indeed. Uh, 
It's yours. Uh, your is the, the next story. And of course, it's a Ryanair story. Of course, it is. Always has to be, doesn't it? BBC.co.uk is the source for this one. And the headline Ryanair passengers accuse airline of scandalous. New fee. There we go, Ryanair. Passengers say the airline has come up with a new scandalous new extra fee after they were charged to get their boarding passes online. Unhappy travellers have taken to social media to express their frustration, saying that they were required to pay up to £21 for a seat booking. Well, no, we know that because you have to pay for... Right, Okay. in order to access an e-boarding pass. The alternative was to queue for a paper pass at the airport. Ryanair has not yet responded to the BBC's request for comment. So far, it's unclear how many passengers have faced the new charge, and Ryanair has not clarified the scope of the policy, which was first reported in the Mail Online. However, the charge appears to have been introduced in the past few days. In the meantime, the airline (coughs) is receiving... Uh, indignant comments from passengers on X, formerly Twitter. When and why uh, did you start this carry-on? I now have to queue to collect my boarding pass at the airport, said one passenger travelling from London to Belfast early on Monday morning. Another passenger said, I can't believe your new policy of not allowing passengers to create a boarding pass, mobile or printout, unless they buy a seat, forcing them to join a checking queue 30 minutes or longer to do so for no other reason for you to make a few quid scandalous. One traveller said that staff at the airport check-in desk told them the new policy was only for the last 20 passengers checking in for the flight. Uh, The charge has been introduced in the last few days. The uh, most airlines require passengers to check in online, confirming their intention to travel. Usually you can download an electronic copy of your boarding pass at the same time. Some passengers choose to pick up a printed boarding pass at the airport instead. None of these choices are usually charged for. However, Ryanair appears to be requiring some passengers to book a seat, which typically costs between £7 and £21 before they're allowed to download their boarding pass onto their phone or computer before they head to the airport. If they choose not to book a seat, uh, they have to queue for a boarding pass at the airport. low price airlines such as Ryanair have gained a reputation for adding on charges, such as for putting luggage in the hold, uh, booking a seat and asking for a seat with extra legroom. Uh, Budget carriers argue this is how they keep basic fares low compared to traditional carriers who usually provide meals, baggage and other add-ons within the overall price. Adding extra optional fees is known as drip pricing and can can significantly uh, add to the total price. The government recently held a public consultation into drip pricing and whether there should be clearer information for consumers. The consultation closed in October. Now, this, I must admit, this is very, this, this does seem like an unusual move. Uh, from said airline uh, and we don't seem to be able to get other other than hearsay we don't seem to be able to get a definitive answer and or decision on on what's about it because I mean I thought that was the whole point of of you checking in online was to avoid the need for somebody sat at a check-in de- desk basically we've heard many stories in the past haven't we of people being charged a lot of money mm-hmm. at the airport to, to print their boarding pass if they yeah. were unable to download it so uh, yeah and now you can and now they're actually asking you to do that where they'll give it to you for free hmm. i'm very confused something's obviously uh, how does missing. it work in the states amanda if you have what's the equivalent southwest 
Um, How's their charging or an equivalent airline? Well, nobody would certainly charge you for getting passes online. Um, probably Spirit is the, the biggest low-cost carrier, maybe followed by Frontier Airlines. But um, And can you get flights for $40? No, not even close. <laughs> See, um, I, think, I think this is the big difference that mm -hmm. um, not saying that this new add-on or this strip pricing is right, but there is the flights in Europe are particularly cheap. I think there's there needs to be some sort of shift where people need to understand that it's a bizarre situation where you can fly in a modern, brand new, $120 million aircraft across Europe and pay more to park at the airport than you did to fly. Um, yeah. And I think in the States, it's a totally different model. You just pay more for your, your seat in the first place. Because um, essentially, you know, certainly with some airlines, it's those cheap prices that drive the airline to have lower conditions for their staff. So I think it's it's a bigger debate than than what we see on yeah, the surface. Yeah, I've said it so many times on this show. As an American living in Europe, th this was probably one of the biggest benefits of, of living in Europe was the ability to go to Malta, go to uh, Croatia, go to Oslo, go to uh, Krakow, go to any of these places for under a hundred pounds. Mm. That's just completely unheard of. And, and as an, as an American living over there, I took advantages. Uh, I would, I would venture to say almost every other weekend mm. where me and my friends were just, we would find out what was on sale at Ryanair or EasyJet and just book a, t a ticket from Stansted to wherever and then figure out the logistics when we got there. Um, but that is, it's pretty unheard of here in the US. I mean, I must, I must admit, I kind of thought that sort of post-COVID, if you see what I mean, that, that that would, that shift, if you like, would almost happen as part of the, you know, I mean, there, there, I remember we were reading stories where they sort of basically said that the low-cost, you know, low-cost flights to parts of Europe and stuff, that was now done because, you know, obviously everybody lost so much money during the whole COVID thing. People are still trying to recover from it. You know, essentially, I mean, there were many airlines that went bust there, you know, but unless they had deep pockets or, or big investors, you know, it was, it was a, a big issue, like, sort of with COVID. And, you know, there was very much that message put out that, you know, the cheap flights that, that Armando is referring to, that Matt is referring to, were a thing of the past. But it, it, that doesn't seem to be the case. It does seem to have gone back to, you know, I mean, I was looking at flights uh, for Dublin and, and they were £25 each way. Now, funny, that, that's strange, isn't it? Because Michael O'Leary did say that, the, you know, the 20 euro flight has finished. You know, yeah. we're, we're never going to go back there. But it does seem that there are those available. Um, yeah. So, and and almost... talking of flights of 29.99, it's probably what you're about to say, Nev. Carlos will be very pleased with uh, the latest announcement from I know. I, I, do you know, I couldn't get... This actually made our local news, as I say, the radio station <laughs> that I do, because we all got a little bit excited. And Jono, who does our breakfast show, who's quite often in the chat room, uh, a very good evening, Jono, if you, if you are there. Uh, he was like a kid in a sweet shop with the announcement that was being made where we're all a bit excited because it looks like affordable flights could finally be arriving at well, London Norwich yeah. Airport. Yeah, uh, and, and did Carlos bribe them to put Malta in as their I, I, I'm beginning say. to wonder. Yeah, 
Well, it does say that uh, Ryanair is to start flying to destinations from Norwich International Airport from next year. The budget airline will run services to Malta, Faro in Portugal and Alicante in Spain, according to an aviation analyst. I do hope it's not that aviation analyst. It does. It does start on the first of April. You don't think this is a massive? No, no. Now I have to say because we we were all like, oh, hello, ding dong, ding 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 ding. What's going on here? But no, um, I. And it's interesting that it actually it pulled out of Stans. Uh, sorry, South End. South End. Airport yeah. In 2021, didn't it? So mm. um, yeah. I think Carlos is going to subsidise these flights just by himself. Personally. He's probably going to be there every yeah. weekend. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I, I, I have no doubt. Uh, so, uh, Jono, Norwich. John Jono has actually booked one of the first flights, and I think it is. I'm not sure which destination it was. I've got a feeling it was Malta that he was going to jump on the first flight that goes out. It was either Malta or Fair. I can't remember, um, but. Uh, yeah, and no base there. It is literally just where they're going to fly in and fly straight out again. Um, but as I say, I've always wanted to fly out of Norwich, but the flights have always been just so expensive, um, you know, because you're paying that premium for it being a local airport. So the prospects of, of Ryanair, uh, I hope this is so hugely successful and that they'll bring a few more flights in and stuff because this is the thing for me. Anybody can run you to Norwich Airport from where we live, you know, as where asking someone to run you to Stansted is, you know, not really a, a thing. Mm. I, have a, I have a funny story. Like when I lived in Bury St. Edmunds, I, my mom came to visit me. My parents came to visit me mm. and uh, it was my mom's first time in, in Europe or the UK. And, as we were sitting there, I think it was day two of her visit. She said, she's, you know, in her Puerto Rican accent, she's like, I mean, I've always wanted to go to Paris. I've always, I grew up looking at Paris. Right. And I was like, mom, we can get to Paris in like an hour. Right. Yeah. And from we, I literally like that afternoon, I booked some tickets from Norwich to Charles de Gaulle on flyby no. at the time. Yeah. For the next day. And we just drove up, you know, it's what an hour to Norwich on yeah. the A14 and, yeah, yeah. um, and then, and then one of the advantages of flying out of Norwich is we had gone through security and gotten to, uh, through security to passport control. And my mom had forgotten something in the, in her, in the car, in my car. Yeah. And Norwich was such a small convenient airport that I was able to leave security, go get whatever it is that she forgot, come back through security, go back to passport control. Yeah. And it was all in a few still minutes. Have, yeah. Yeah. It, it was still plenty of time. I think there's what, two, three gates at Norwich. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. such a, a nice experience going from Norwich to Paris yeah. um, for anybody living in this East Anglia, right? One of the things we were saying about, uh, we were saying on the radio though, is all, you know, Norwich airport are going to have to like, you know, raise their customer service gain if they're, you know, if they're going to be taking flights from Ryanair and, I, and, I, and I'm going, no, I think they'll be fine. Uh, <laughs> I don't think it will make any difference. <laughs> Because <laughs> I, I, I guess, like all of the other ones, I mean, they usually bring their own agents, don't they? At the end of the day, who who will be looking after things they don't normally use uh, in airports, do the, they? Yeah, I don't know if they're going to use the ground handling staff already there, or whether mm. they're going to, you know, interesting. I don't, I don't know that. Yeah, because they they do have a reputation for using their own, don't they? Where they where they can. Um, mm. I don't know. I mean, they they might use uh, the, the you know the 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 support that's already there if you like especially while it's uh you know shall we say an experiment um yeah, but yeah well, i'm very very excited i am I really speaking am. of convenience and experiments captain matt you've got the next story this is interesting 
Yeah, this is uh, definitely an interesting one uh, from the States. So I think it's only uh, right oh, that we do no. this properly. <laughs> oh, no. So uh, TSA to launch their first self-service <laughs> security option in January. TSA, of course, being the Transportation Security Administration. So travellers with a TSA pre-check eligibility will soon be able to select a self-service screening option to speed up the security process. A prototype system will be trialled next month in Las Vegas. I'm actually going to Las Vegas next month, so if I'm part of that trial, I'll report back on how this goes. Mm. Uh, the initiative is part of the Science and Technology Directorate's S&T Screening at Speed programme, partnering with the Transportation Security Administration's Innovation Task Force. The programme is exploring future solutions to security screening. Screening at the Speed Programme manager, uh, Fortune, commented, like self-ordering kiosks at fast food and sit-down restaurants, self-service screening allows passengers in the trusted Traveller Programme to complete the security screening process on their own. Travellers will use the passenger and carry-on screening systems at individual consoles or screening lanes themselves, reducing the number of pat-downs and bag inspections that TSOs need to perform and freeing their time to be reallocated to the busier aspects of screening operations. The idea behind the programme is to improve the efficiency of security screening through innovative technology, which includes passenger self-screening. Essentially, airports would be able to handle more passengers just as efficiently, if not more so, with a similar number of security staff on duty by installing technology that lets passengers screen themselves. In 2021, S&T awarded contracts to three companies, MicroX, Vanderland Industries and Voxel Radar, after inviting concepts for its new self-screening passenger technology. MicroX is developing an individual pod-based design for self-screening, as well as the capability for further screening if necessary. It has begun building its first pod ahead of its testing in 2025. Additionally, this month, the company's computed tomography, so CT X-ray system, will undergo data collection and evaluation by S&T. The small system will be used for carry-on and personal item scanning. Uh, Vanderland Industries is based in Georgia and its prototype is called the PAX MX2. This features its automated screening lane cabin bag conveyance system with four screening stations per lane. These stations will contain a video monitor for passenger instructions and a help button for TSO assistance. The company's prototype was installed at TSA's Transportation Systems Integration Facility at Ronald Reagan Washington National Airport in March, where it was tested and reviewed by the TSA. Voxel Radar is designing a motion screening prototype capable of scanning passengers while they walk through a checkpoint. The advanced imaging and panel sensors were sent off to S&T in August for testing and are being looked at as either an addition to the MicroX prototype or as a standalone system. The first airport to be involved in the trial will be the Harry Reid International Airport in Las Vegas and Vanderland's uh, PAX MX2 will be installed at the airport and its TSOs have already been trained on using the system. The option will initially be available for qualified pre-check passengers. Other technology and development, including the Micro X system, can be viewed in person at the Consumer Electronics Show, which takes place in Las Vegas next month. Um, is this going to be a case of uh, unexpected item in the packing area? <laughs> I, 
I knew as soon as they started putting self-checkout at the uh, grocery stores, this was going to be the next thing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Can we address the elephant in the room here, please, now? We can... <laughs> what? What? That, that Nev doesn't have a cowboy hat? <laughs> no. I mean, honestly. <laughs> doesn't everyone have one of these in their, no. in their closet? No, we don't. Oh, dearie me. Now, uh, uh, a TSA. Now, that's uh, an interesting organization, isn't it? Um, when I uh, was traveling to the U.S. quite a bit, uh, I got the um, TSA pre-check thing um, and the global entry thing. I did an interview, or I was interviewed at the American Embassy in London mm. to, to get that. Um, and I have to say, it makes arriving in the US so much easier yeah. um, in terms of queuing and all the rest of it. Armando, do you think this is going to improve things even further? I do think this is the way of the future. Uh, I think it'll be the usual growing pains in aviation that we have, but uh, it can't make it worse. <laughs> um, so, no, I, I think this is actually a great thing. I think they'll figure it out. They'll figure out the technology. Um, and nowadays with, uh, you know, machine learning and, and, and AI, I'll probably, you'd probably see some of that background software operating in here too, where they'll, probably add behavioral analysis to this, or maybe even um, we're, we're way behind facial recognition and things like the biometrics here in the U S but eventually biometrics. And you could, I, I think I'm a, I'm a, I believe in the technology in in technology advancement. So I think this is actually a good move. I think eventually this will be a, a great move for getting through security um, much, much quicker, but that's me being optimistic. I have to say the one thing that did surprise me so much, because obviously, uh, places like Stansted and Heathrow have got a terrible reputation for delays getting through airports and all that kind of thing. And I was genuinely quite surprised at how slow things were at Charlotte when I arrived. I must admit it was not so bad going out, um, but coming back in, it was. I was actually quite surprised. Um, I mean, I think... I think it was nearly an hour, wasn't it, Armando? By the time I sort of, from when I'd landed to when I finally got through to, um, to sort of like the other side. Sounds pretty Airside. good. Try going it, through Orlando. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's funny about you saying that is I that's what I thought about Heathrow because every time I came back into the U.S., I guess it depends what color passport you're holding. But yeah, every time I came back into the U.S., I was like, wow, this is great. This is a great experience. But going through the through UK border um, control. Yeah. Oh, man, I think I've there's been plenty of times where I've waited for two, three hours at Heathrow. No, going back. really? Oh, yeah. When you don't have that that UK passport or that EU passport and you're the all others line. Yeah, there's wow, there's okay. sometimes two to three hour waits. No, so. no, that's fair. I, I, and I must admit, I was very lucky on both occasions. My e-passport worked beautifully. Uh, <laughs> which, um, but then I noticed it's new equipment there now. The equipment's been upgraded and it was a lot better. Uh, Nev is uh, not wanting to uh, miss out on the hat game. Uh, no, I hope you're enjoying uh, my version <laughs> of the Stetson. Obviously, uh, we're a bit more uh, uh, subtle here. Sorry, is that a fez? Is that, is that a Moroccan it's hat? a very small baseball cap, I think. I <laughs> Never mind. Cowboy hat for midgets. It makes sense <laughs> that you would have it. There we go. Here in the US, we don't have cowboy hats that small. Just saying. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Now, how about this story, Armando? This this is uh, was a ex 
and still remains a very controversial story. And uh, finally, uh, somebody has had to take the rap for it. I think finally is the key word in this. We were all wondering, you know, when, when, when this happened, geez, I don't, you know, I, I guess, you know, 2021, something like that. I remember talking about all the shows, all the podcasts, we were all talking about this, everybody on the internet, all the aviators were saying, man, you know, there's something wrong about this whole thing. Well, um, funny enough, the, the story sources, the BBC, but <laughs> YouTuber uh, Trevor Jacob uh, has actually, and finally, as you said, have been jailed for six months for delivery, deliberately crashing his plane for YouTube views. Then probably the part that got him in trouble is lying to U.S. investigators. So Trevor, who's 30 years old, uh, posted the video of the plane crash in December 2021, implying that it was an accident. He, uh, I don't know about it, ejected from the plane, but he jumped out of the plane, selfie, in, uh, selfie stick in hand, and parachuted to land. I remember him saying, oh, I never fly without a parachute. Um, well, the clip did get millions of views, and he did get his, you know, 15 minutes in, in the spotlight. But in a plea agreement, Jacob said that he did film the video as part of a product sponsorship deal. Uh, the former Olympic snowboarder pleaded guilty earlier this year to one felony count of destruction and concealment with the intent to obstruct a federal investigation. Um, the FAA, of course, said that this kind of thing cannot be tolerated. Uh, in November 2021, Jacob left a Santa Barbara, California airport on a solo flight with cameras mounted on his plane um, along with the cameras he had this parachute that i just talked about a selfie stick which is a essential uh, aviation item and then he uh, said he did not intend to, well he said in the in the briefing uh, for the u.s attorney's office that he did not intend to reach his destination but it instead planned to eject probably wrong word from his aircraft during the flight and video himself parachuting to the ground as his airplane descended and crashed. He uploaded the video. It was called, I crashed my airplane on, on uh, December 23rd on YouTube. Of course, it contained a promotion for a wallet company, according to prosecutors. Everybody was skeptical of the crash, noting that he was already wearing the parachute. He made no attempt to land the plane safely or even restart the engine. And then he reported the crash to the NTSB um, and who said that it was his responsibility to uh, preserve the crash site, but he didn't. He he literally just left. He jumped on a helicopter because he had pre-planned everything. He removed the wreckage, which he later destroyed, and all of that wow. ended up uh, getting him into trouble. So he's going to jail for at least six months, uh, three million views on YouTube, six months of jail. Was it worth it? I'll let you guys choose. Well, he certainly wouldn't have earned enough money from uh, those three million views in order to uh, to uh, um, sort of you know sort of retire or anything like that. I mean, as you well, say, it I doesn't mean, matter. He's lost it all. And he's going to jail. So, well, yeah, and all, yeah, and because the video has been since removed as well, so that's no lot. It's no longer there for people to view. Um, and um, you know, I mean, now he's got you know 
jail time essentially on his record. I mean, that's going to have impact on uh, jobs he can take, um, countries he oh, can yeah. fly to, all of the things. I mean, absolutely. What a, I can't. I don't think I can say what's in the notes here, actually, Nev, can I? The bit that's uh, no, in the photo yes. <laughs> and, uh, in the green there. But uh, safe to say that producer Nick was uh, unimpressed, shall we say, by well, the, the stunt. The only thing that I would yeah. be a bit concerned about is that, well, A, I think he was very lucky only to get six months. Mm. And B, mm. it's hardly a deterrent, is it? I mean, the whole point of these sentences, and let's face it, this is an extremely unusual situation. It's surely to deter others from uh, g- g- trying to do the same thing on a copycat basis. But with a six-month jail term, um, you know, I, I don't think that's sending the right message at all. I, I think it should have been, uh, you know, five years something like that um but uh, no it was it, well i mean reckless doesn't even begin to cover it does it let's be honest but, but also it's just like with something like that on your record well it doesn't really matter what it is on your record the fact that you've got you know essentially jail time on your record um i mean there you know places like new zealand and australia won't it won't allow you to visit now uh, good point yes you know it's, it's stuff like that yes. i mean and, yeah, and yeah. you know the u.s is a bit finickety about like you know those those sort of things you know and quite rightly so Mm. you know i mean it's just it's like just did you know worth it absolutely not i mean what on earth was going through his head that he thought Mm. a get away with uh, it yeah matt a320 matt what what do you think about this yeah i mean this is unfortunately the the modern world of people trying to be influencers and kept putting views likes and shares above everything else and i think also something that is sad is that you know he shouldn't have done this with any aircraft but i believe this aircraft like 1940s classic aircraft as well so it wasn't even like he just got some old wreck or something he actually bought he bought it with the purpose to do this he'd only just bought it so it would be like buying you know an old classic car and then deliberately going and you know, crashing into a tree. It's, it's a, I think that's really unfortunate as well. That's exactly what Richard Adams said in the chat room and what a lot of us thought was, we don't care about him. He's a, he's a big old dum-dum. But man, what a what a shame the loss of a, such a beautiful airplane. A classic aircraft. I mean, yeah. it's just like... Yeah. It's just so n- narcissistic, <laughs> isn't it? Captain Ridiculous Wits is saying, I've got the best idea ever to grow my YouTube channel. Hold my beer. Uh, <laughs> love it yeah. oh dear what a dum-dum as you say i like that yes a good good word that what a dum-dum head yes yeah. very good now so, when you uh, when you download a podcast uh, if you look in the info section never done it um it tells you uh, what sort of content to expect whether it's explicit or whatever it is <laughs> and normally uh, well we we have a clean rating i'm pleased usually to say. yes but after this next story i'm not so sure oh uh, no i'm not going to get emails from apple again am i well i hope we can maintain <laughs> it and for the cleanliness because on travelandleisure.com it talks about the five dirtiest parts on a plane mm. according to flight attendants well nearly 3 million passengers fly across the us every day according to the faa and millions more travel across the globe do you know i didn't know that that's incredible that's an amazing piece of information uh how of course these aircraft must get turned around quickly and whilst dedicated cleaning crews do their best to scrub every seat before the next passengers file in 
things can sometimes get missed or stay a little dirty from flight to flight. And according to flight attendants, there are a few spots you may want to avoid or at least use hand sanitizer after touching. Uh, so here we are. Here are the five dirtiest places on a plane. I don't, I'm not sure what the, the pecking order is for this, but uh, <laughs> I think they're all... I, I don't think it matters, does no. it? No. <laughs> well, let's have a look. The, uh, the safety card. So the dirtiest spot on the plane is the safety instruction card in the seat pocket, uh, says Josephine Remo, who's a flight attendant and travel blogger. Uh, and whilst she notes that the tray tables do usually get wiped down, we'll come back to that later on, the instruction cards do not. So once you're done reading the safety instructions, make sure to put on a little hand sanitizer, or better still, wipe down the instruction card with a wet, wet wipe to save you and future passengers from any germs. I've flown quite a lot over the years, as you know. I've never seen anyone read the safety card yet. <laughs> so that's a, a non-story, I, 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 I think. I have to confess, I did. Well, you were. When, when, I, when, I, when I was coming over to see Armando, yeah. I actually With did. your dirty hands. Yes, yeah. yes. There you go. Yeah. Now, other areas too, which could be a bit mucky, the overhead bin. Now, additionally, Josephine Remo says it's key to either wipe down or use a cloth to open the overhead compartments. Oh, come on. <laughs> and as she points out, they are touched by a lot of people. I didn't know that. And rarely cleaned. Whilst it's tough to avoid them, once you're done loading your carry-on, simply use some hand sanitizer once again. We're, we're already trying to board the aircraft, aren't we? And we're now doing hand sanitizing as well. Another, another possible delay uh, and slot losing opportunity there, I would have thought. Uh, now, we talked about the tray tables earlier on. Uh, passengers generally know airplanes are riddled with grime, but the tray tables go beyond general germs, says Sue Fogwell, who's a flight attendant with more than two decades of experience. Suffice to say, it's a good idea to give your tray table a good wipe once you get on board, especially before eating. Uh, Fogwell isn't the only one sharing this information because in 2015, a study by Travel Math showed that the tray tables had nearly eight times more bacteria per square inch than the second dirtiest place, which is the overhead air vent button. Uh, next one, the seat covers. It says that the seat covers aren't always replaced or cleaned. Uh, Sue Fogwell uh, says, explaining that they will only get replaced or cleaned if they have been reported. But even then, it could be a toss-up. Not every gross event is reported, as it could create a flight delay, she said. Uh, for those who can't bear the thought of an icky seat, there are plenty of disposable and reusable seat covers on the market. So now we're going to... Um Having done all our hand sanitising of all the things we've just mentioned, we're now going to bring a re reusable seat cover cover onto the flight. Should, shouldn't delay the flight see, at all. Should it? See, am I the only one that this story is really winding up? Because <laughs> it's just like I, I, I get that. Yes, absolutely. Things that exist in the real world do get germs and are grubby and dirty. And if you do what you're supposed to do, which is either wash or sanitise your hands before you eat. It doesn't matter. It's a reasonable point. 
the, uh, the thing is, is you're sp- you know, as, as certainly I was. Anyway, I can't speak for everybody's, um, you know, upbringing. But I, I had it beaten into me essentially that you know you must wash your hands before putting like you know like putting your finger up your nose, shoving it in your mouth, eating whatever. Like you know, wash your hands before you like you know wash hands before you touch face. The whole. Yes, thing. Yes. Richard you know, Adams makes a very valid point. The pump handle on the sanitizer bottle, bottle must be really filthy. Well, quite. Exactly. I, thank you, Nev. <laughs> I was literally going to point that out right now. We've got some other great ones in the chat room, which the dirtiest part of an airplane, uh, probably Andy's microphone. Oh, wow. how rude. <laughs> how rude. <laughs> uh, Captain Ridiculous, which, since we don't have a caption this, Captain Ridiculous, which says, uh, the Mile High Club room. Right, okay. Mm. Oh, there's a room uh, there. Oh, that's nice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Lee Davies says that uh, PIA, is it Pakistan? Pakistan International Airlines? Uh, sure, true why? fact, had to be fumigated uh, by my uncle, had to do it to each plane. Uh, Richard Adams, the pump handle on the hand sanitizer. Uh, oh, windows. Ooh, Captain Ridiculous, which that is correct. I, you know, sometimes, especially when I was commuting, I know. Captain Matt, you guys don't have like really commuting as a pilot type thing, but as a commuting pilot, generally you stay, uh, you let all the passengers deplane and then you grab your bags and go, right? Because it's kind of your representative of, of the airline. And uh, and I I know for a fact, staying on the airplane as crew, as those cleaners are trying to make their way from the front to the back, they are not doing a very thorough job. I mean, it's like spritz, spritz, wipe, wipe, spritz, spritz, wipe, wipe, move to the next, pick up the maybe the yeah. trash. And um, there is a lot of that airplane that gets yeah. touched that is never cleaned. Uh, Bill is suggesting, by the way, news flash Ryanair to charge for disposable gloves, hand sanitizer, and seat <laughs> covers going forward. Yeah. <laughs> you know, poor, poor Ryanair. Does EasyJet do the same thing right like then that easy jet is never in the news for this i don't know i i think i think easy jet in 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 the in, i think they've got the common sense to sort of keep their head a little bit under the precipice of all this is just like let's just let's just let our blue friend do all the shouty shouty on the on the socials <laughs> yeah. and, well, just, and have a lovely as, time as you, you, know? <laughs> um, as you thought you you couldn't get him any more dirty as it were oh let's talk about bathroom handles shall we oh no uh, well the toilets Ooh. are regularly cleaned but the locks and door handles are not apparently uh, for this reason it's a good idea for passengers to use hand sanitizer after stowing away their luggage touching anything in the seat pocket in front of them and going to the bathroom um, and uh, this lady's not the only one to make this claim in fact in October 2023 reporter Andrea Sachs collected samples from across an aircraft and found the lavatory sink handle to be the grimiest Followed by, you've guessed it, the tray table. Uh, now, there's one more thing you might not want to touch on your next flight, and that's the ice. Uh, a 2019 peer-reviewed study by the Hunter College uh, New York City Food Policy Center at the City University of New York showed that the drinking water on planes uh, as potentially unsafe for humans. Uh, the study scored 10 major airlines from 0 to 5 and found that 7 out of 10 scored a 3 or below. Uh, my takeaway from doing the research was not to drink the coffee and tea at all, says uh, Charles uh, Platkin. See, I, I, uh, I, I don't know if I, dis- I, I, I feel like I want to dispute the, the thing over the ice, to be fair, because the ice actually arrives bagged. 
yes yeah, so it's not made on the aircraft i was exactly about, I was yes. about to say exactly the same thing so yeah. there's a big difference between tap water on board and the bagged ice that the yeah. caterers bring on yeah absolutely but, I, I mean i don't agree. know if they think the cabin crew are there filling up a little tray of yeah, ice cubes tray, yeah. and then freezing it yeah ready for the next for the next lot no it's uh i mean it, it I, I don't get me wrong ice is an issue it was one of my bugbears when i ran pubs i used to spend probably a good hour a month stripping down my ice machine sanitizing it cleaning it because it's constantly making ice by definition you get the little black mold spores and all that kind of thing because it's cold and damp i mean it you know it's a it's the nature of the beast but if you clean it like most people do then it will be absolutely fine but I, i'm afraid i do what don't get me wrong sanitation is extremely important but I do worry that it's all gone a little bit too far the other way. Well, this fella here that we were just talking about, he says he has one more piece of advice. Oh, okay. For those using uh, aircraft bathrooms. I don't wash my hands either. I have wipes that I use. Oh, okay. oh that's lovely. <laughs> well, you know, our, our uh, sister podcast, uh, Bus Talking UK, and our other sister podcast, Train Talking UK, are all airing out similar articles about cleanliness of their public transport systems because i know when i go fly i take the you know an uber to the bus a bus to the train and then the train to the tube and then the tube to heathrow and then i walk through the terminal so i mean probably the airplane is probably the least of your worries about you know germs and things you're touching and just i mean yeah. just consider yourself lucky that you got to the airplane and the airlines <laughs> do do monitor the quality of water at different places as well. So the airline I fly for, we have a list of airports where we are not allowed to upload water down route because yeah. they deem that the water isn't of good enough quality to be loaded on board. So uh, they do think about it. I think the issue with probably the, the tap water is the fact that it's just a big tank of water that's constantly filled and emptied. Um, I don't know how regularly they are cleaned out, but engineers say that obviously when they do clear them out there is sludge and things in there just because it is a big tank of water Absolutely. It's unavoidable um so yes yeah. and of course when you have a tea on board one of the things why you can never get a good cup of tea on board an aircraft is because water doesn't boil at 100 degrees c no uh, when you're up at altitude so the water's never fully boiled no so the temperature that well, is boiled, but not to the normal temperature no, we'd indeed. have on the ground. And uh, Richard Adams yeah. is seeing, uh, uh, best still, get a cardboard box, seal yourself in and travel as cargo. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's always an option. Uh, a very good evening to uh, John O'Abel, by the way. He, he, the gentleman I was talking about earlier, uh, he's in the chat room there. He's, uh, he's impressed by your hat, Matt. <laughs> yeah, Armando's got it, one it, as well. Just saying. Uh, <laughs> but, I was going to say. I think Matt's is bigger though. Yeah. Right. Okay. Oh, so well, anyway, <laughs> talking about washing. Oh, oh dear. It's You've got the next one, Matt. How have I? Oh God, help us. Yeah. Uh, green washing. We're talking about green washing. <laughs> okay. All right. No idea what that is. Uh, BBC.co.uk. Hang on. I'll put my camera on, shall we? Uh, BBC.co.uk uh, is the source for this one, and the headline is: Airline adverts banned over greenwashing claims. Adverts for Air France, Lufthansa and Etihad have been banned from misleading customers about the airline's environmental impact. Air France said that it was committed to 
protecting the environment and Lufthansa urge passengers to fly more sustainably. Etihad's ad used the words environmental advocacy. Ooh, I say, that's a big word, isn't it? Uh, the uh, Advertising Standards Authority, the ASA, said that the ads did not show the impact the airlines have on climate change. Lufthansa and Etihad have removed the ads. The ASA said Air France did not provide a substantive response to its investigations. It did not respond to the BBC's request for comment. The advertising watchdog said by claiming Air France enabled for, uh, people to travel better and sustainably, customers would think the airline offered a sustainable and environmentally friendly way to travel by air, which is not true. The, yes, the ASA investigates adverts by companies it suspects of overstating their environmental friendliness, known as corporate greenwashing. Lufthansa said the words fly more sustainably were a reference to its green fares option for passengers on European flights. It said this used some sustainable aviation fuel and made a contribution to climate protection projects. Lufthansa told the BBC it aimed to be carbon neutral by 2050. It said that it had taken the decision to remove flight more sustainably from future ads. Etihad Airways said it had immediately removed all references to environmental advocacy from its paid-for Google search ads after receiving the complaint. It told the BBC sustainability was a key priority. The advertising watchdog said it had picked up the adverts using the artificial intelligence AI system, which uses the technology to search for possible rule breakers. That's a new and interesting development. Wednesday's ruling is not the first time Lufthansa has been pulled up by the ASA for greenwashing. In March, the airline airline's Make Change Fly campaign was found to have misled customers into thinking the airline had already taken steps to make sure the environmental impact of its business was not harmful. Lufthansa responded that the purpose of the ad was to address the need to reduce the impact of flying on the environment and to make consumers aware, but the ASA upheld the decision. It said that air travel produced high levels of both CO2 and non-CO2 emissions, which were making a sustainable and substantial contribution to uh, climate change, a statement it repeated on Wednesday in its latest ruling. Now, interestingly, in the notes here, it says that Wednesday's decision is the latest in a string of upheld decisions by the ASA uh, over greenwashing. Since 2011, a slew of firms, including Persil, HSBC and Shell Drinks companies Innocent and Oatly and even two funeral providers Golden Leaves and JC Atkins and Sons have had adverts banned. Companies are uh, receiving greater scrutiny than ever uh, to lower carbon emissions with airlines under particular pressure to reduce their footprint and I find it absolutely a face for me the big takeaway from this is that uh, the ASA are using AI in order to scour the internet for possibly misleading adverts. I find that for me, that's the big story. That's quite a surprise. I think I got another question for you guys. You know, I don't think any one of us would deny that that there is a climate crisis going on. But on a more day-to-day, practical, pragmatic level, have you ever chosen one fare over another because it was advertised as a green fare or as a more environmental conscious like we talked about last week right the the sustainable aviation fuel flight to new york do you think any of those passengers booked it because they knew there was going to be more sustainable fuels on there i don't think so i think um the low-cost airlines prove that 
price point is the most sensitive part of any ticket and people will go with a different airline if it's three or four pounds you know five dollars less um they would they would go with whichever airline's the cheapest um i think also people have become immune to it a bit like they're saying here this greenwashing it becomes word salad all airlines use yeah. this sort of language so people just every every company uses this sort of language so it becomes irrelevant almost so so here's a thing and, and this 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 could open up a whole can of worms so i apologize in advance uh what do you think do you think that the adverts that we see on television influence your decision over which airline you choose to fly to to a particular or any destination not for me no it's only about brand awareness that's all yeah F. yeah i'm the same yeah absolutely um now obviously i will try and fly ba wherever i can um, <laughs> almost um yeah i would go as far as to say almost at any price unless aa or american airlines have, have happen to have the, a very similar flight mm. and i could still earn points and, and yeah. tier points what, what have you but uh, actually no, I've, that, so. I've got a really good idea what i think we should do is stick you on this on on this new flight uh, coming out of norwich and then mr abel can be your guide uh, you know to your first ever ryanair flight Nev, that'll be exciting <laughs> well i have been on one before but it was oh, a very you? long time ago and it's I, I I can't remember it, fortunately. So uh, was it a dash two hundred? Uh, it was. Yes. Wow. It was a seven three seven dash two hundred out of wow. uh, Luton to Belfast. Wow. Aldergrove. I mean, there's your first problem. Yeah, with the uh, the the ironically named hush kits that still sounded like a fighter jet taking off. Yeah, right? I think this was pre hush kit as well. Was it? Oh my goodness! Oh, yeah. oh wow! That's oh. how long ago it was. Yeah, so quite was, the roar. Yeah, I was yeah. spurting out lots of um, black smoke. I mean, you used to think well. like a, a tornado or something was taking off, and and you look up and there's just a Ryanair going over the <laughs> the hush kit on. They actually had loud pipes on there, like a Harley. <laughs> yeah, advertised it that way. I I. I don't think it was. I think it was a BAC 111. But the the uh, argument and the point you've made is exactly <laughs> still <the> valid. <laughs> Absolutely. Can you, you know, I, I very much appreciate corporate responsibility. Uh, but I'm, I think Nev and I talked about this a couple episodes. Uh, I think the episode title was the one where Nev and Armando agree on everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I will even pay more uh, for, for a ticket based on, you know, the, the loyalty programs and the... Uh, the um tier status on on american airlines i i mean i very rarely for work even look at any other airlines other than the one that i'm you know brand loyal to um so i again i appreciate corporate responsibility but it doesn't affect my decision making at all and it's not really brand loyalty is it it's points and status loyalty it's, yeah they, yeah if it, that's if, why if, they do them if delta airlines had a hub here in charlotte north carolina i would be a delta guy right but i just have it happens to yeah. be american well i must say my my experience on american was fabulous i'm not i'm not going to lie uh, i think a, a huge amount had to do with the seats that you'd chosen me to be fair i wonder because they were fabulous seats um but uh you're welcome yeah. they're not the worst no no american no. american airlines i mean no <laughs> indeed uh no it was truly amazing uh i've i've decided that i'm going to do the radio from home tomorrow i've treated myself to a little beer here we go oh Lovely. how nice Ooh. well in the club happy friday happy friday um, everyone yes oh i say that oh that's nice 
Captain Matt, I can't wait to get your take on this one. This one's from uh, businessinsider.com. An off-duty captain took control of an air transit flight after the pilot suffered an uncontrollable nosebleed, according to the airline statement to Business Insider. Oh, wow. That incident took place on a November 20th flight from Toronto to the Dominican Republic on board an Airbus A330, not a little airplane, in a statement shared with uh, Business Insider. Air Transat confirmed that the incapacitated captain was temporarily unable to continue his duties due to an uncontrollable nosebleed, prompting the off-duty pilot to take over. The second Air Transat captain was traveling with his family on vacation when he was called into action, according to the airline. Uh, The statement said, as one of our other captains was on board with his family heading out on vacation, he was fit and able to take over the duties of the incapacitated captain for the remainder of the flight. It is worth noting that our pilots are expertly trained to deal with situations such as this one and can manage flying our aircraft unassisted, it added. As such, there is absolutely no risk for anyone on this flight, and the situation would have been the same had the backup pilot not been on board. A report from the Transportation Safety Board of Canada noted that the pilot became incapacitated approximately three hours into the flight, and the aircraft continued to its intended destination without further further incident, and of course, none of the 299 people on board were injured per the the report. So, Captain Matt, what is your take on this one? Um, I would say, from my perspective, bit of a non-story, really. Um, The statement from the airline sums it up, really. There was a a captain who worked for this airline traveling on his holidays, uh, or vacation, as you would say, Armando. And they, obviously, the crew knew him, identified him and said, you know, could you take over? And had he not been on board, it would have still been perfectly safe because, I mean, he wasn't um, completely incapacitated, as in he's fainted or passed out or died. Uh, as it says here, there's a nosebleed. But, you know, we're trained for pilot incapacitation. So, you know, first officer is more than capable of obviously still operating the aircraft and landing it. So interesting and probably surprising to a passenger, but I would say as a as a captain myself, a bit of a non-story. Really. I suppose the only uh, area which uh, might have been difficult is if the second uh, Air Transat captain said, I'll, I'll be right with you, I'm just going to finish this uh, Shiraz and I'll be right up there. Yes. Uh, so, well, I guess... <laughs> I guess yes. under the fit to fly, that would have been taken into consideration. Quite. Yeah. And presumably, uh, does the airline know on the passenger manifest that they've got a, a crew on board that could operate? The I would guess so. Um, my airline doesn't, if you book um, a hmm. staff ticket, but we tend to know most of the people on board anyway, so they would probably know that. Yeah. I think we do. I think most airlines here in the U.S. do. That is part of the release paperwork. How many uh, non-rev crew is on board? But if um, you know, I mean, this guy was presumably. I, I, I doesn't. Does it say in the story whether he was transitioning somewhere else or whether he was off? He was off duty as and he was on holiday or. Yeah, he was on vacation yeah, with his so family. So he was on vacation, right, okay. I mean, I would be three wines in by then, frankly. Well, but, uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that in any way, shape or form, no. but I, I'm, I'm, just sort of, I'm just sort of thinking, you know, but if there's already a protocol in place for if there wasn't a pilot on board, why do they need to disturb this guy on his vacation? 
Well, I guess it would have been voluntary for a start. And second of all, you know, obviously but, two pilots is still better than one. So... Yeah, um, fair, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm just sort of surprised, as you say, like you were saying that, that you know, you train for this. You train for being a pilot on your own in the event of, you know, a, a colleague being incapacitated and all that kind of thing. I'm surprised that that is, in this scenario, I'm surprised that's not where the... You know, I I feel like that protocol is the one that should have been like instigated, if you like, rather than disturbing this guy on his holiday. He really, might, it's I hard, mean, it's would he have had to... enough? Would he have had enough? You know, he might have literally just come off a flight and he's now going on holiday, for example. You know, isn't yeah. that? I mean, in a, in an unusual or emergency situation, all bets are off anyway. If you if yeah, it's fair. deemed safe, you can do anything. But okay. um, and if you can justify it, but um. Yes, of course, the protocol is there, but there's a lot of work and a huge amount of workload for one person to get um, an airliner down on the ground on their own. So you can do it, but it's a hell of a lot of work and there's obviously a lot of risk yeah. involved compared to having two crew on board because, of course, you're checking each other and that's why we have two crew on yeah. board. Error checking. Yeah, um, think, yeah. So it would still be better to have that. And if I was a captain... Uh, flying as the captain and my first officer went incapacitated and I knew that there was even another captain or a first officer back there, I would probably still have them on up front. Okay. 100%. Matt, I'll I'll put some uh, labels on this too. In in the threat and error management uh, concept and and crew resource management concepts that which we are all you know, as aircraft captains and, and first officers and most first officers at this level have been captains on other aircraft. Um, one of the things that you rely on in a uh, challenging situation, so any kind of abnormal situation, whether an in-flight emergency or something just abnormal like this, not not terribly uh, uh, life-threatening or anything like that, but one of the concepts is available resources and you have, you kind of take a moment and figure out what are your your available internal and external resources and I would take, just like Captain Matt there said, uh, 100%. If I if I knew there was another pilot on board and my right seater was incapacitated, I would uh, number one get someone to, uh, you know, do limited first aid to to that person. At least get them out of the seat and get somebody that's uh, that I that I know is a known uh, mm -hmm. quantity, especially if they're a uh, same company captain or first officer, I would 100% throw them into the seat, even two wines into it. Um, you know, I, I'm willing to answer to the man to as to why I have made that decision. I'd rather have, Fair. you know, an extra person in there. Because um, then the, the question is, what if something does go wrong from that moment forward? Yeah. Well, I was going to just right. say, I mean, O. Reese is negative in the throttle quadrant area or the radio panel or the MCD or, you know, um, we always talk about spillages of liquid in the cockpit mm. and we don't know how bad this was, but you know, that could have resulted in possible, you know, some systems being unavailable, for example, as True. well. So it would have become, it could have become a handful, but it, it wasn't by the sounds of things. So yeah, no, yeah. that's fair. No, that's fair. Does it say in the article, did they continue to the destination? They did. Uh, yes, they did, I yeah. think they did, yes. Yeah. 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 
Well, if no, if no, no other reason, I think I think the pilot who was on his holiday was like, well, "I'm getting this plane here under by hook or by crook." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting actually talking about that sort of thing. One of the things we discuss when we're training, uh, talking about medical emergencies on board, yeah. is we always ask if there's obviously a doctor on board or any medical staff, and then we get the advice from them whether they think we need to divert or continue, and we have they don't have the final say because yeah. this may be a doctor or a nurse or whoever who really, really wants to get home or really, really wants to get on their holiday. Yeah. So are <laughs> they making the absolute unbiased decision yeah. to continue or are they thinking, I really can't be bothered for this aircraft to be diverted, et cetera, et cetera. So I, it's I, definitely I, something to think about. I would like to say that our wonderful NHS would put the well-being of their fellow passenger over their holiday i would Im- i would imagine it could yes but given the amazing it could be it that's... could be a gray area like mm, yeah they're okay you know it's not necessarily always um a clear-cut no decision but also I, w- I would imagine that you're, you're talking to your company as well at this point aren't you it's not exactly. just it's not just the flight deck crew's decision at, the, at this point is it really correct and the doctor is just part of that decision making process that yeah. we would have to do as a captain so we would take yeah. their information the cabin crew's advice um and any other factors and then have to make a decision from that Actually, uh, Mazus uh, is saying in the chat room here, of course, and we know what what his profession is, don't we, Nev? Uh, he's saying it's a tough call. Yes, uh, it is. I, actually, I have I have to ask the question, Mazus. Have you ever been asked that question when you've been on a flight, just out of curiosity? Um, oh, I remember. Well, we give him a chance to answer. I remember yeah. uh, Doctor Steph was talking about she this been asked, isn't she yes yeah i no, think she has been asked, yeah. no yes he adamantly says no <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he put an exclamation yeah 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 oh. yeah we've been officially told off uh, <laughs> that's two shirazes into it yeah, he's like yeah, i don't yeah. i don't have that kind of malpractice no, no 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 yeah that's a that's a clear no uh, sorry you were saying uh, about dr steph Yes, I mean, I think she has been asked uh, once or twice, I think. Uh, really? She, she, did, she did volunteer on one occasion uh, mm. when asked if there was a, a medical professional in the aircraft. Wow. Um, My so. wife's a nurse. She's been asked several times when we've been on flights. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, could could you remove your husband from the cockpit? Because, yeah. yeah, he's getting a bit annoying. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. God, he's now, acting like this... he's acting like he knows how to fly this thing. <laughs> well, Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Now, of course, this flight did not result in a diversion, but uh, the following story does, and uh, Matt's going to tell us all about it. Yeah, interesting one here. So, uh, a Lufthansa A380 was forced to divert to Delhi after a couple's quarrel becomes unruly. A spat between husband and wife, I think that's putting it quite lightly here, a spat between husband and wife forced a Lufthansa A380 to divert to Delhi after the argument became disruptive. Flight LH772 departed Munich at 23.24 local time and headed for its intested destination in Bangkok. Uh, on the 28th of November 2023. However, the flight never made it to Bangkok after the unexpected disturbance erupted mid-flight. According to the Indian Express, a 53-year-old man was seen shouting at his wife and things took a turn for the worst when he started to burn her blanket with a lighter. 
The wife then asked for help from the cabin crew and the flight sought permission to land at uh, Indira Gandhi International Airport in India. The flight landed in Delhi at uh, 10.26 local time. After the husband and wife duo exited the aircraft, the flight left Delhi at 12.26 local time and eventually landed in Bangkok at 17.29 local time after a flight time of roughly 3 hours and 30 minutes. The couple reportedly resolved their issues at Delhi airport and were sent back to Munich. <laughs> um, right. <laughs> what are your thoughts there then, Nev? Well, firstly, it's probably an overweight landing for the aircraft, I would imagine, um, <laughs> yeah. because they've uh, fueled for a long flight and now they've got a short flight. Um, I do hope the book was thrown at this gentleman big time because... It doesn't sound like it, does it? No, it doesn't, does it? Or, or maybe there's just no further explanation. But uh, I'm no expert, but uh, doing what he did is, is, is not part of the... Uh... No. Well, let's ignore any of the actual argument. Mm. Setting fire, trying to light some yeah, blanket yeah, yeah. with a, a lighter for a start is enough, isn't it? Why on earth would you do that? Well, why? Why? I mean, it, it, anger is a, is a funny old beast, isn't it? At the end of the day, it's like at what point did going through your head think that you know endangering everybody else around you because you're really peed off with your travelling companion? Just, I, I can't get my head round it. And also, it's not exactly like a, a lash-out act, is it? It's like quite a calm <laughs> thing to do, like flicking I'm the lighter. I'm so cross I mean... with you, I'm going to burn your blanket. <laughs> yes. Get a minute. Wait a minute. I'm just going to get my lighter. Yes, yes, yes. I'm furious with you. I'm going to alight your blanket. <laughs> I mean, I... I well, Armando, what do you think? Yeah, no, I'm with you guys. I think uh, things probably escalated as soon as you... Started trying to light yeah. that blanket on fire. I'm surprised he wasn't like either tasered or gaffer taped to a chair. Uh, well, and it's also the, it's um... also an airline blanket, so it's made out of like 20% cotton, like 80% hot dog filler. So it's probably pretty flammable. <laughs> but also, I think the other thing is the the not only the flight deck crew but the flight planning department of Luft, Lufthansa have now got to put new things into the you know the diversion procedures uh, yes, and this sort of yes. stuff. Whether um, you know engine failure or hydraulics yeah, or yeah. whatever, uh, burning of blanket. Uh, yes, it's by a, it's, it's it's a whole new page of rules and regulations, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it is not an easy. I can't imagine it's an easy decision to divert an A380 because then you're, you're just trying to figure out where where are we going to put yeah. it we're going to have well, the ground support are you're we almost have... certainly going to have to go back to your you know your origin airport aren't you in that scenario if, if you if you aren't halfway yet mm. um as you say because it you are very limited about the the airports that are capable of taking such a large aircraft aren't absolutely you? yeah i mean yeah. they certainly don't have the choice that i would have on a 320 where you can get into many many places even not even if you had to you know exactly <laughs> um it's not even about the runway it's about the facilities to park one of these yeah. things you know landing it is one thing yeah. you know there's plenty of runways that are long enough to take a 380 but where do you put it afterwards because you can't put yeah. normal steps on it you can't put normal air bridge on it how on earth are you going to do anything so yeah they're very limited so for example british airways they're when they go into i think it's san diego i think their alternate is san francisco that's the closest place they can wow, get into okay. i think something like that Blimey. well certainly that's their that's their first alternate so it's quite far 
And I'm afraid the person who knows absolutely nothing about aircraft here, uh, I know, like, for example, I use the Ryanair one as an example. So the, the, the 737-800, is it, I think, is the is the variant they use at the moment. It has stairs built into it, doesn't it? They They can actually... They actually have stairs built into the aircraft. I presume the 380 does not have such a thing. No, it takes well, also. The I mean, if if this happened on the upper deck as well, that's a whole load yeah. more. Uh, you know, level of difficulty, isn't it? Mm. So, uh, oh my! Yeah. Uh, and a, a strange decision, I think, is the best way to describe wow. that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. interesting life choice there. Uh, yes, yes, absolutely. I wonder what he's doing now. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Perhaps, he, perhaps he's with our uh, plane-crashing friend sharing a cell somewhere. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, this... Uh, Armando. Yeah, this next story is a bit of a heartwarmer story. It's from Flying Magazine. Um, first of all, I guess I should explain that uh, Gold Star Families, that's uh, a thing here in the United States where they are the uh, immediate family members of someone who has lost their life on active duty service in the military. Um, so American Airlines flies Gold Star families to Orlando in what they are calling the Snowball Express Airlift. Uh, they've partnered with the Gary Sinise Foundation uh, once again to transport Gold Star families as part of this Snowball Express, an annual event that brings together the surviving spouses and children of fallen military service members for a five-day experience at Walt Disney World in Orlando, Florida. Now, the Snowball Express program is more than just a vacation to Disney World. It is an opportunity for families to connect with others who understand their loss and create new memories during the holiday season. This year, American Airlines, Fort Worth-based airline, donated 11 aircraft and over 700 tickets to ensure that family members from regions across the world would have the opportunity to participate in this event. Over 1,800 family members from 80 different locations participated in the airlift from as far away as Australia, Guam and Europe. Uh, since 2006, American Airlines has partnered with the Gary Sinise Foundation to transport these Gold Star families around the holidays. The airline provides both donated air, uh, charter aircraft and tickets as part of the annual charity effort. Also donating their time were the crew members on each of the 11 charter aircraft, along with some of the support staff on the ground. Both uh, pilots and flight attendants had the opportunity to volunteer on Snowball Express flights every single year. During the send-off event at Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport, uh, American Airlines COO David Seymour shared that the demand is so high for volunteers that not everyone is chosen. Being the airline's largest hub, DFW typically has the biggest Snowball Express event. From DFW, 284 people boarded a holiday-decorated 787-9 aircraft, the largest aircraft in the Snowball Express airlift, before departure, airlines employees decorated each of the charter aircraft's cabins with a holiday theme. American Airlines and the Gary Sinise Foundation operate charter flights from some of the carrier hub, carrier's hubs to select military towns, several cities from Seattle to Fayetteville, North Carolina, saw Snowball Express flights pass through on Saturday, making stops to pick up more families en route to Orlando. So there you go. It's outstanding from American Airlines. Yeah, good one. Um, now, do you remember uh, a few episodes ago we spoke about the Alaska Airlines Embraer uh, E-175 uh, 
Well, yes, the captain actually was on the jump seat, wasn't he? Well, it's on the avweb.com, um, and it does say that pilot in the fire extinguisher incident uh, faces misdemeanor charges. Oh. An off-duty Alaska Airlines pilot who tried to set off the fire suppression system on a company E-175 in flight will face misdemeanor charges in Oregon for the widely publicized incident. He's also likely to be released from custody to go home to California to await trial, according to the New York, New York Times. A grand jury voted to drop the 83 counts of attempted murder against Captain Joseph Emerson and proceed with the lesser charge of reckless endangerment, uh, endangerment against him. Emerson still faces a federal felony charge of endangering, endangering an aircraft, however. Uh, Emerson was deadheading on the flight to San Francisco when he grabbed the handles, the, the fire handles this is, on the overhead panel. Uh, the captain and first officer were able to wrestle him away before fuel flow was interrupted and the fire extinguishers and the engines deployed. I still think they did a phenomenal job there, by the way, the, the, the flight deck crew, bearing in mind that the jump seat is behind them. Uh, but they made an otherwise uneventful emergency landing in Portland where Emerson was arrested and charged. He has since spoken publicly about the mental health issues and drug use that preceded the incident. It put a spotlight on pilot mental health issues and their reluctance to seek treatment because doing so would threaten their medical fitness. The indictment was announced on the same day the FAA created a rulemaking committee to address mental health and medical fitness for pilots and air traffic controllers and a day before the NTSB holds a public meeting on the subject. Well, we've spoken about mental health uh, a lot on this show, I think more this year than ever before. But this is right at the, uh, the far end of, of the extremities, I, I would have thought, uh, Armando, don't you think? Yeah, I agree. I don't know that I necessarily agree, agree with, uh, you know, just letting him... Uh, well, I guess not prosecuting him to the fullest extent. This could have turned out very differently yeah. had that crew not been so on it. Um, yeah, on it and able to restrain him. Especially, you know, the, the part that gets to me about this whole thing is on that particular aircraft, the E-175, the, the fire handles, you know, on, I, I would say on, I don't know, may, Matt, maybe you can fix me, but maybe 60 to 70% of aircraft that I know of, the fire handles are forward on the on the on the dash, maybe by the mode control panel. On the E one seventy five, the high, the fire handles are actually back up and above the pilots by the jump seater, and I I just commend the two pilots for doing whatever they needed to do because the the person closest to those fire handles was actually the jump seater, the, this individual. Mm. And that could have gone very, very, very differently. Um, yeah, same so. on the A320. So the fire, we have push buttons, and they are the very highest uh, panel on the overhead panel right behind us out of view. So someone could easily press them without us seeing unless we were looking around. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Well... Uh, lots of opinion on that, I'm sure. But uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, that does bring us to the end of the commercial news section. A very interesting uh, series of stories, I thought, this week. Mm. Uh, really enjoyable. And uh, so next up, it's over to you, Armando. All right. No ejections here. We're just going to press on through and fly the milk.
Terry? No, Matt, hit the button. All right, this first military story is about Doomsday and Boeing. Uh, so <laughs> Boeing is no longer in the running to build the Air Force's E-4 Nightwatch Doomsday plane. Uh, I'll ask afterwards if you guys even know what this airplane is. This leaves Sierra Nevada or SNC as I'll the I'll save only... you a lot of time. No. Uh... <laughs> uh, I'll explain it here in a second. But uh, uh, in a statement from breaking defense on Friday, uh, last Friday, company spokesman from Boeing confirmed that the aerospace giant's bid is no longer under consideration by the United States Air Force. Uh, according to Reuters, Boeing and the U.S. Air Force could not reach an agreement on data rights or contract terms. Boeing executives have refused to sign any new fixed price development contracts after the company has suffered billions of dollars in losses in recent years, most notably in the Air Force One replacement program. Uh, in the third quarter of 2023 alone, Boeing logged nearly one billion U.S. dollars in charges for its defense division. In a statement, an Air Force spokesperson said that they could not discuss the active source selection and detailed program information is classified in order to protect our investment in this critical capability. Boeing is the builder of the current E-4B, a modified 747, which serves as the Defense Secretary's primary mode of transportation, but can also act as an airborne command center in the event of a national emergency like a nuclear attack. Uh, the aircraft is also known as the Survival Airborne Operations Center, or the SAOC, and four of these aircraft are currently in the U.S. Air Force's inventory. Uh, the Air Force uh, fiscal year 2024 budget rollout early, earlier this year showed a massive jump in funding for the SAOC replacement effort with approximately 889 million US dollars in 2024 alone as the service moves towards a contract award. Uh, well, now with SNC being the only competitor, it's probably going to them. Uh, Boeing isn't alone in its opposition to fixed price development contracts. L3 Harris uh, CEO uh, Chris Kubazik uh, has vowed that his company will refuse to sign contracts with such terms. Uh, let me talk about fixed price contracts. So the, this was uh, the last presidential administration was adamant about uh, basically setting a price and it was up to the company to either meet or not meet the uh, requirements of that contract within the set limits of that uh, contracted price. Not necessarily against that. Uh, there are pros and cons to that for the companies, but um, the E four B seven forty seven. It's the one often confused with Air Force One. Matt, these are aircraft that are uh, they're seven forty sevens. They're generally white with a blue stripe down the side. Uh, most people think they are Air Force One, but they're not. That's actually manned by a crew of I don't know twenty to thirty people in the inside. And they are basically able to run the entire country from an airborne command post. Um, four of these things, there's always one airborne. And uh, wherever the president is, usually there's one nearby. Uh, Air Force One and the current 747 fleet is very, very capable, or the VC-25 fleet. Um, but these 
aircraft just have a little bit more capability in, in the event of a national emergency uh, to be able to, to provide uh, continuity of government, as they say. Um, the last time it was, it was publicly used was during 9-11, where President Bush was actually, um, you know, he was in Florida at the time. He jumped on Air Force One, went to uh, Barksdale Air Force Base, and then from Barksdale, he actually jumped on to the, the SEAC, the E-4B, where they were able to make most of the uh, decisions to as to how to respond to that particular emergency without uh, anybody knowing where they are. They were in the air. So uh, Now, uh, 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 Dirk is saying that, uh, hey, Boeing have finally learned something. I think that's uh, important. They've finally learned a valuable lesson. He's saying they still haven't said where they're going to get their U-747-8 from for this, which is a, a, another interesting point, I feel. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, well, you know, I guess the question is, will it even be a 747 now true, that true. the uh, SEAC? So, um, you know, SNC, they may opt for something like an A330 or an A340. Mm. So we'll we'll see what happens here. Mark, Mark is saying surely many uh, a KC-135 in the desert can be used to be spruced up as a, as a fraction of the price. Hey, uh, that's actually not a bad idea. I, I used to fly on a what's called a VC or 137, which was a modified KC-135. And that was actually the, um, this airplane has long been retired and is sitting in the desert, just rotting away. But um, that used to be the United States Special Operations Command commander's air, aircraft, personal aircraft. And um, he used to be able to uh, fly that anywhere to a national or international emergency. And it was an airborne command post. Yeah. Yeah, no, true. Very true. Anyway, we'll move on if that's okay, Armando. And I think, I think Matt, you have the pleasure of this next one. Yes. Um, so mine is Collins Foundation ends aircraft tours. Flying Magazine is reporting that four years after the deadly crash of its B-17 and the damning investigation that followed, the Collins Foundation has announced it will end its popular Wings of Freedom tours and put its aircraft on static display. 909 crashed while the crew tried to coax it back to Bradley International Airport in Hartford, Connecticut in 2019 after a partial power loss shortly after takeoff. There were seven passengers and three crew on board and only three people, two passengers and the loadmaster survived when the plane hit vehicles and a de-icing fluid tank about 500 feet short of the runway. The NTSB reported a report cited numerous maintenance and safety issues with the touring aircraft, which spent 10 months of the year crossing North America, giving rides for hire. In addition to the B-17, the Foundation offered rides in a B-25, B-24 and a two-seat P-51D. The Foundation says the aircraft will now stay at its Hudson, Massachusetts Museum, along with dozens of other aircraft, vehicles and ground equipment commemorating U.S. involvement in wars around the world. We are moving forward on our long-term plans to bring the aircraft from a nationwide flying exhibition to a permanent display here in Massachusetts, the Foundation said in its newsletter to members. A 90,000-square-foot expansion to the museum is also planned. Uh, have you ever seen this, Armando, yourself? I have. I've seen the Collins Foundation aircraft. This is, uh, um, you know, unex uh, it wasn't. It was not unexpected. So I, I think after the 909 crash, 
I think it was, uh, I think most people were expecting that the Collins Foundation would end their their aircraft tour and their rides on the aircraft, but I'm glad they're continuing on. They, they do have a really uh, great stable full of aircraft with the, you know, ME-262 and the B-25 and the B-24, um, but at least they are getting an opportunity to still um, display those aircraft to the public. I'm sure they'll keep them in flying condition, yeah. but uh, but as far as doing, you know, nationwide tours, it's, it's unlikely. And probably- I mean, I would imagine it was almost the nail in the coffin for something like this, because I can only imagine the astronomic running costs of a fleet like that. And even if you've got fair paying passengers, the maintenance and everything must be huge, which I think is probably why they, according to the report, you know, were cutting corners. Yeah, certainly. And there's some, actually some regulatory challenges that the FAA is trying to figure out right now, uh, led by the EAA, the Experimental, Experimental Aircraft Association, which these were certified aircraft. So you're talking about a B-17 and B-24. They were certified aircraft at one point in their lives, but there's no parts. There's nobody making parts. And the rules and regulations on behalf of, uh, from the maintenance part haven't really caught up where you can just go to Home Depot or uh, or B&Q and, and pick up some, you know, electrical wire and and manufacture your own wiring harness for these kinds of aircraft. So they they were facing more and more regulatory challenges, keeping them airworthy. And the FAA is currently addressing that with a group of uh, stakeholders where at least they can relax the rules a little bit to at least enable these organizations to keep them flying. But uh, as you can imagine, a certified aircraft, they're there's no parts for these things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of, of interesting parts and interesting aircraft, this next story is actually from the drive.com. This was an F-35C that uh, was sporting a mirror-like coating, and it was photographed aboard an, air- an aircraft carrier. Um, these kinds of coatings have appeared on F-22s, F-35s, F-117s, but it's the first time that, at least publicly, it's been... Um, highlighted in an aircraft carrier environment, the sudden arrival of this mirror-like coating on all of America's stealthy jets, like the 22, the 35, and the F-117, definitely grabbed a lot of interest uh, starting in late 2021, and they appeared repeatedly through 2022 in various forms. Uh, But all the known aircraft instances of combat aircraft receiving these, what they're calling exotic treatments, uh, are thought to decrease the signature of the aircraft, most likely most likely in the infrared spectrum, have been flying examples uh, for testing purposes. Uh, The concept does date back a few decades, but this one F-35C was operating aboard the USS Abraham Lincoln off the California coast, as it has appeared this week with those mirror coatings. Matt, I think we've got some pictures of this. Um, The photos of the jet in question were actually published by the Defense Department, and showed the F-35C doing a touch and go aboard the aircraft carrier. Uh, Two things a little bit intriguing about this particular F-35. The first is the multi-toned mirror-like treatment applied on the outside and inside of its vertical tail. A vertical tail, the tail is vertical. Uh, The installations are each, on each tail are made up of patches of dark and shiny uh, sheet and tile-like mirror coatings. And then a, uh, a similar coating has been shown to change dramatically based on the angle of the view, going from opaque to transparent, and in some cases from shiny to dark, 
based on where the viewer is looking at it from. Uh, the upper wings also appear to have this kind of uh, rough three type uh, mirror coating. Uh, so really, really interesting. Most yeah. of the other jets, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I, I read something online where people were sort of wondering if this is some new development sort of meta technology where they're using electromagnetic materials and things to retract, uh, reflect um, radar returns and things like that. So they're wondering if maybe it's some new technology like that that they're using on them. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt Anyways. it. Whatever it is, if you're going to throw it onto a fighter jet like an F-35, it's probably expensive. And if it's expensive, it probably has a reason for being there. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, they don't do things like that for no reason. Yeah, just because it looks cool. Probably not. Uh, you've got the final military story, which uh, you're welcome for the pronunciations. <laughs> Lovely. Thank you very much. Yes. Uh, so uh, the U.S. Navy hauls the PA. 8A, so the Poseidon from the sea in Hawaii. The US Navy has pulled the Boeing P-8A Poseidon maritime patrol aircraft that came down into the sea near Hawaii out of the water, setting the stage for the aircraft's possible return to service. The effort started at 6.30 a.m. local time on the 2nd of December. The aircraft was initially floated near the runway and was fully out of the water by 7 p.m., according to the U.S. Navy. The recovery team used floats and roller bags to support the aircraft and protect the marine environment. The team went through a detailed planning process to develop the best course of action to get the P-8 out of the bay as quickly and safely as possible, said Salvage Operations Leader Rear Admiral Kevin Lennox. The entire process took 13 hours. Most of the day was spent making small adjustments to the roller bags and the aircraft position to minimize impact to the coral band adjacent to the shore. At times, it took them an hour to move the aircraft five feet. The aircraft will be moved to a location where a freshwater washdown will take place. Following this, the jet will be assessed and potentially repaired before returning to operational status. Uh, Poseidon number 561 overshot its landing on the 20th of November while touching down at the Marine Corps Air Station and in Kaneohe on the island of Oahu. Is that right? Oahu? Uh, the Oahu, aircraft... but you're British with Oahu. a cowboy hat, so I, nobody yeah. knows what to do with you right now. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> the aircraft settled partially submerged in the shallow water just offshore from the coastal runway. All personnel on board the jet evacuated safely. U.S. Navy images show that apart from a missing radar and nose cone, the aircraft is largely intact. It's landing gear able to support its weight. Um, I think the most impressive thing about this story is they fully intend to, uh, as it stands at the moment, after reassessment, to get the aircraft flying again. Yeah. Amazing. Me too. Um, what, do you what do you think the two weeks in saltwater would do to an aircraft? Yeah, I mean, I, think, I can't I think... imagine it's very good for it. It's but... the electrics inside. I mean, how how deep was it in the water? Was it below the? No, no it was just up to the just the bottom of the fuselage. Mm. I mean, also two week two weeks, as you say, in 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 the salt water and stuff. I mean, presumably the the aircraft is is coated with you know sort of things that prevent it from going rusty or corroding anyway. Um, you know, I would hope that a U.S. Navy airplane that's designed to be near the water mm. is coated with something. You know, I wonder. 
I wonder if it'll be maybe just the landing gear will have to be replaced because that has been properly submerged and it's probably less mm. uh, resistant to some of these mm. um, things. But, yeah, I mean, I guess if they wash it down and get it off, it depends. I mean, obviously, electrics and salt water. I mean, water for stopping electrics, but salt water even worse. But I would imagine that it's not very easy to get hold of a new Poseidon, so you might find that it's just more financially viable to get this one going yeah. than to replace it with something else yeah well we were all wondering what was going to happen with this airplane when they pulled it out of the water where they're going to try to fly it again but it looks like they are how would you feel being the first pilot to fly it though after all that i mean i'd be i'd be happy to be the first pilot to fly it i wouldn't want to be the 200th pilot to fly it 20 <laughs> 20 years from now when it's being held by basically salt particles holding hands that's lovely yes okay uh, you build a lot you, you paint a lovely picture armando <laughs> <laughs> it's the hat uh, that that'll be what it is yes <laughs> nev i'm feeling a little left out I, i'm not gonna lie <laughs> oh that, yeah well uh, i'm gonna have to uh i should have picked up a stetson when i was in dallas <laughs> Uh, earlier this year. I'm disappointed you didn't. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm going to Portland, Oregon, in uh, January, so I'll see if they've got a, a Stetson shop there. Oh, I, I think, I think a, it'll be very becoming, Nev. I, I'm I sure. Look for a Cavenders. There's a, <laughs> okay, there's a... Oh, did you get yours at Cavenders? There you go. Yeah. Oh, dear. So did my daughters. But yeah, they got one wow, as well. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Maddie's got one too. She's got the boots. She's got the hat. Yeah. Oh my! Uh, I think it's the law, isn't it? Is you have it? to get one. Yeah, right. yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Armando, was I essentially breaking the law the whole time I was in the states? Is that is that clear? Did you not here? see that that bit on your visa? Where it says that you must no. buy one whilst you're in. The, I, I just sent it country. to Armando. I didn't read it. Don't be silly. <laughs> Shall I remind everyone that you showed up to North Carolina dressed like Ken, uh, King Henry VIII? I deny everything. <laughs> <laughs> I am not embellishing that he he was indeed dressed like. Like a king. Uh, uh, in, in my defence, you were dressed like Gaston. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Armando with hair is, is quite the unique experience. I'm not going to lie. You're, you're, if, if you have no idea what we're talking about, go back, I don't know, back to mid-October yeah. uh, when uh, we're talking about Matt going to the Renaissance Fair. Here yeah. Yes. Oh, dear. Never mind. Well, that's well there the, we go. We've the, made it. In the oh. military, and that's always a good place, I, I think, um, as, as you know. Um, For a lie down? Sorry. Yes. That's right. <laughs> now, the quiz. Now, we had a bit of email weirdness going on this week, so we're going to mm. extend the quiz over to next week, if that's all right with everybody. Uh, but I thought I might just give you a bit more background about the, um, as we've got a bit of time to spare, uh, about the, uh, the quiz question uh, itself. Um, BA38 was a scheduled international passenger flight from Beijing uh, to Heathrow uh, and that distance is 4,400 nautical miles. On the 17th of January 2008 the Boeing 777-200ER aircraft operating the flight crashed just short of the runway whilst landing at Heathrow. No fatalities occurred of the 152 people that were on board. 47 sustained injuries and one serious, but it was the first time in the aircraft type history that a Boeing 777 was declared a hull loss and subsequently 
written off. The accident was investigated by the Air, Investigant, uh, Air Accident Investigation Branch, the AAIB, and the, the final report was issued in 2010. Ice crystals in the jet fuel were blamed as the cause of the accident, clogging the fuel oil heat exchanger of each engine. This restricted the fuel flow to the engines when thrust was demanded during the final uh, approach into the airport. Uh, the AAIB identified this rare problem as specific to Rolls-Royce Trent 800 engines uh, fuel oil heat exchangers. Uh, Rolls-Royce developed a modification to these and the European Safety Agency uh, mandate, mandated all aircraft to be fitted with the modification before the 1st of January 2011. Uh, the US FAA noted a similar incident occurring on an Airbus A330 fitted with Rolls-Royce Trent 700 engines and ordered an airworthiness directive to be issued mandating the redesign of the fuel oil heat exchanger in Rolls-Royce Trent 500, 700 and 800 engines. Now, as we know, the captain on board uh, that flight on the day was Peter Burkhill and the question is, how was Peter able to be able to extend the glide of the aircraft so that it didn't impact the ground before the perimeter fence? Uh, on the approach to runway 27 left at Heathrow. How was Captain Peter Burkle able to extend the glide of the aircraft so that it didn't impact the ground before the perimeter fence uh, on runway 27 left at Heathrow? The prize is this book, his uh, account of it, with his wife Maria, 30 Seconds to Impact. And if you send your answers to podcast at plaintalkinguk.com, that's podcast, plaintalkinguk.com. We will draw out the winners on next week's show, and I shall post the winner a book. In fact, this very book here. Um, and uh, I've read it many times now, and it's a fascinating account of what happened on the day, uh, but also subsequently as well. And once again, Nev, how do people enter the competition? It's podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. Do not just send an, yeah, Just send an email with your answer. Yep. There you go. Shall, um, I, shall I do the socials, Nev? Shall I? Why not? Yes. Yeah, Please indeed. Do. So yeah. lots of ways of interacting with the show. One is the way that Nev has already shared with us. That is, of course, uh, uh, it's podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. You can send in all the things that you want to share with us. We'd love to hear your audio feedback as well, maybe even a video feedback if you're feeling so bold, so that we can share it with everybody on the show. Uh, our social media, if you would like to follow us on social media, search the various channels hi maddie hello hang on sorry let me press the right button say hello let's press. say hello 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 there we go she literally <laughs> walked in the room and said what the heck yeah what the hat i'm assuming yeah absolutely yes the hat. yeah it's i mean it is a stylish hat to be fair i hear you've got one as well maddie she can't hear you no fair enough oh yes of course yes you're, you're wearing the earphones uh, <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Uh, <laughs> sorry. I'll carry on, shall I? Sorry. Uh, the social medias was... Uh, uh, I, 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 I've lost me. We're trying to thought. Yes. Search social media. So that's Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it, Facebook and Instagram. Search it for Plain Talking UK. Uh, our website, if you want to get your hands on a mug or a T-shirt 
or find out a little bit more about ourselves, it's www.plaintalkinguk.com. That's www.plaintalkinguk.com. And our WhatsApp number that goes straight through to the main man himself, that is, of course, Carlos, our, you know, our, uh, our Lord and Master. Uh, it's plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. That is the WhatsApp number, plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. Excellent stuff. So, uh, wrapping up the show soon. Uh, Matt, what are you up to next week? Are you doing any flying at all? Uh, (laughs) Not the the other. I could say, clearly not talking to me. No. (laughs) Uh, Me. Uh, No. So, I've got next week off from flying, but I'll be teaching. So, I'm doing a tight rating course with 16 students next week. Um, doing their ground school, so all the technical stuff in 320, and also their procedures training in the flat panel trainer. So I've got that next week to look forward to, which I always enjoy. Yeah, nice stuff. Excellent. Armando, what's your plans for next week? Well, tomorrow morning, Saturday morning, we're going to do a uh, Toys for Tots run. So that's an organization that collects toys for uh, underprivileged and underrepresented minority kits. So we're gonna. I'm gonna fly a toy of an airplane in the biplane over to the Hickory Airport here in North Carolina, where we're all a bunch of us are meeting up with our airplanes to donate some toys. And then next Love week, that. yeah, it's great. It's a great organization. And um, and then next week, actually, no flying. We're off to Phoenix, Arizona, for um, a little family event. Uh, just me, Megan, Maddie. So we'll be out most of the week next week. Nice, nice. It sounds like fun. Um, it's the Christmas party for me, Nev. Uh, that's tomorrow evening. So wish me luck with surviving oh, that one. Frankly. I can imagine. So are you on the radio tomorrow? I uh, yes. Yeah, so tomorrow morning I'm on the radio. The bit that mm. I'm most worried about is because I don't think the party itself, my lift, isn't arriving till gone midnight to oh. collect me, and I'm on the radio Sunday morning as well. So my advice would be listen to that one because that will be hilarious. Uh, <laughs> If there was ever a case for doing a pre-record, that, that is it. Yes, that's not allowed, unfortunately. Mm. Not a, not yeah. with one of the, you know, not with the Sunday morning breakfast show, unfortunately. Quite. So, as lovely though that might be. Mm. <laughs> Never yeah. mind. What about you, Nev? Uh, yeah, busy week next week. Uh, quite a bit of travelling in London and then down to the office in Brighton on the south coast. Uh, it's our Christmas party on Thursday. Uh, so Friday will be difficult. That's for sure. <laughs> Uh, but if it's not too difficult, I should be back on the show next week. And I'm uh, looking <laughs> forward to seeing everybody f- all uh, there. So, uh, but uh, no, thank you everybody for listening and watching today. Uh, been a really great uh, interactive display from you as always, and great talking to the guys on the show. Uh, all being well, Carlos will be back next week, and uh, that's um, well, and we've also very soon we'll be able to have a bit of an announcement about what we're up to in March hopefully as well we're just putting some uh, finishing touches to some of the things that we'll be up to are we then. so uh, yes we are <laughs> oh yeah um, yeah and, sorry uh, yes. well I say finishing touches we've only just started actually yes yeah. <laughs> completely yeah. honest about it but uh, there's some new stuff coming up so it'll be mm. very good indeed I mean we'll have our production meeting sometime in January to decide what we're going to be doing for the rest of 2024 mm. as well so that's always a lot of fun and always a good excuse for a dinner, I think. I well. think so, yes, absolutely. Well, and that being said, if the listeners have any feedback or anything mm. that they'd like to see something different, Very go ahead and send it to us. 
Yeah. Podcast do, yeah. at plaintalkinguk.com. That's the email address. Podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. The email weirdness has been sorted. I've put 50p in the meter. We're back up and running again. It's all good. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Well, in the meantime, thank you very much to all my chums on the uh, on the podcast for joining me tonight. Um, and uh, we look forward to seeing you same time, uh, 7 o'clock on Friday of next week. So say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Everybody. Bye for now.